0: When the parents of a three year old girl go missing, no one really knows what's going on. But when they reappear, the story becomes even more bizarre. And then we travel to Detroit to take a look at a ghostly haunting that has us ask the question is terror in the eye of the beholder? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Ho, 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 ho. Is that Santa Claus or Job of the Hutt? Who knows? Hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. I'm wearing a Santa hat, which is completely meaningless because this is a podcast and you can't see me. But just imagine me with a Santa hat on for this episode as we talk about all this horrible stuff that we're going to be talking about. I'm feeling a little bit better for those of you who are wondering um i don't know what i'm sick with so as long as i'm not as long as i'm not sweating out of my eyeballs anymore i will consider that better but someone who always makes me feel better coming into dead rabbit command right now a friend of mine and longtime supporter of the show give it up for molly everyone give a big round of applause to molly walking into dead rabbit command molly actually sent us that story not too long ago i'll put it in the show notes Where she visited her son's place of work and the ghost followed her home. Or followed her into her dreams, however you want to put it. Really, really good episode. We'll put it in the show notes. Molly, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show really, really helps out a lot. That's how Molly actually ended up on the show. She doesn't support the Patreon, but she talks about my podcast more than I do. She promotes the podcast more than I do. So, Molly, that is how you've earned this opportunity think i really really appreciate that molly i'm gonna go ahead and toss you the keys to the jason jalopy we are leaving behind dead rabbit command we are driving all the way out to greenwood indiana <laughs> this is a true crime story that's happening right now and i just cannot wrap my head around this and every day i'm looking for updates on this and the, <laughs> all the news articles are like we don't know either We have no idea. We're talking to the police investigating this thing, and nobody knows what's going on. When this story first popped up, I I wanted to cover it the day I first found out about it, earlier this week. But I was like, no, there has to be more information. It can't be this weird. So let's go back to early December, the week of the 6th of December, 2021. So incredibly recent. In Greenwood, Indiana, Molly's driving the Jason Jalapa, and we pull up to a house... And there's a little little girl in the house going, oh, I'm so scared and, and and I'm a baby. And doing all this stuff. We walk up, we're looking in the window, and there's this three-year-old girl sitting there in the dark house going, oh, somebody help me. The grandma of this child shows up and she's knocking on the door and she's super worried and stuff like that. We're sitting in the Jason Jalapa eating popcorn. I'm like, look at that human misery. Isn't that hilarious? What's going on is that the grandma goes to the house. She hadn't heard from her daughter. Or her son-in-law, she goes to the house, there's this three-year-old baby just left there. So she calls the police, and the police start investigating this, and, and who, who knows what's going on? Now, the grandma said, listen, my daughter, she had a miscarriage back in June, earlier this year, and I think it kind of like affected her. I think she's having this postpartum-esque mental issue going on. And my son-in-law is just cuckoo, cuckoo. She starts making all the sound effects. The cops are like, oh, man, she must really not like her son-in-law. She goes, my son's a little off, too. My son-in-law's a little off, too. So when both of these people go missing, you have to think, did they run away? Did they get kidnapped? Grandma takes possession of the three-year-old little granddaughter. And the police go, we'll try to find them. That is our job, after all. So they set up a thing to detect pings on their cell phones. Nothing. There's no record of them pulling money out of ATMs. And this is when the police start... When people go missing, when people, like, run away, they'll access their ATM so they can track them. But this one, they, they don't know. They don't know if it's, they're purposely running away. They don't know if they've been kidnapped. A week goes by. And then the police they are sitting there in their headquarters. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop, boop. They have this monitor. It was detecting a ping on their cell phones. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop, boop. And the detective's like, "Hurry up, get the sergeant over here. We got to look at this." And they're all looking at this monitor, and they see a little like dot going. Doo, 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 doo. We got a ping, sir. Where's it at, officer? There. And he points at the monitor, and the camera pulls back. They're in Florida, specifically, they're at the Dayleone Springs State Park in Volusia County, Florida. And the detectives in Greenwood, Indiana, they're like, make a phone call because we don't want to drive down there. Call the police down in Florida. Let's find out what's going on because at this point, the police are concerned about their safety, but also they're guilty of child neglect. They just left their daughter in this house. So the police down in Volusia County show up at De Leon Springs and there is a stolen moving truck there, a stolen Pinski truck there, in the parking lot of the state park, so the police go. This has to be them, and they go and they kind of like are like hiding in the bushes, and, <laughs> and then they get bored at some point, and one of them is like crawling out of the bushes, and they're like, "Where are you going?" This is supposed to be a cut. He's like, "Ah, it's boring over here," and they begin inspecting the van, and inside the van, there's actually body cam footage of this. Inside the van, there's a baby, a little baby me. Cops like, oh great, my day just got way more complicated, little baby person. And you're looking at this body cam footage, and first off, you hear the officer go, "There's a baby in here," and then you're looking, you don't see a baby because it's so full of garbage. The back of this truck is full of just trash and like dirty diapers and like just rubble. And underneath the rubble, you can barely see a child's car seat. That is held down. It's like attached to the flatbed of this moving truck with bungee cords. So the police are automatically, they start filling out more infractions. They're like, what else can we charge this missing couple with? Because they're not at the at the parking lot. There's just this truck that they're assuming belongs to these people. Because they have this stolen truck. There's a baby here. But they're like, do they have another baby? I thought the whole reason why we're looking for them is they left their baby in Greenwood, Indiana. And the cops are like, yeah, they, they should not have another baby in their car. But here is one. And then as the cops are trying to investigate, <laughs> they're not investigating at this point, they're just trying to process it. Who comes walking out of the wilderness, pushing a stroller, an empty stroller? Lincoln and Amanda Germana. So the police are like, okay, this is what we expected. We expected to find them here. We didn't expect to find a baby. So they separate Lincoln and Amanda. And they go, why, why are you guys here? Why would you guys leave your other daughter behind in Indiana? And really the biggest question we have is, who's this? They're pointing to the baby. Who's this? So the, the main question the cops have right now is, what is this baby doing here? Whose baby is this? Because it's clearly not yours. We know you had a miscarriage back in June. I, don't, I don't actually don't know if they confronted Amanda with that. But they said, this isn't your baby. Now, at first... Both of them said, Amanda and Lincoln, they're separated at this point. Both of them said, oh, no, that's not our baby. But as the cops kept pressing them, like, with simple questions, like, well, whose baby is it? Where did you find it? And what's his name? They then changed their story and they go, oh, that's our baby. That's our baby. We actually gave birth to him at home. So we don't have any paperwork for him. And the cops go, what's his name? And, and they gave two separate names. She said his name was John. And Lincoln said the baby's name was Emmanuel Rodriguez. And and the reason why they ended up in De Leon Springs was that Lincoln apparently is suffering from some sort of affliction. Most most likely the mental affliction mentioned earlier. And he believes that the De Leon Springs have magical properties. If he drinks the water, he'll be healed. And the police are like, "Uh, okay, that's not true. And it's okay to like journey around the country, drinking strange sources of water and hoping for a cure. But one, you can't leave your kid at home when you do it. And <laughs> two, you can't, you can't appear with someone else's kid. So please just tell us where you got the kid. And as of now, the story's been going on for about a week since they've been arrested. They still are like, that's our baby. And they're like, it's clearly not your baby. Yeah, yeah, it's our baby. So they're in the court system right now, and the judge said, "Okay, part if you guys pay bail, you want, part of the order is you can't contact the baby. Because the baby's being raised by like the Florida Department of Health and Human Services or whatever." And the judge goes, "You guys are being charged with child neglect. Lincoln's being charged also with grand theft because he stole the Penske truck." And they go, "If you do or if you if you are able to pay bail, one of the things is you can't talk to this baby." And Amanda goes, how long do I have to wait before I can talk to the baby? Like, I want to see my baby again. (laughs) The judge is like, that's not your your baby. You never get to talk to your baby again. The judge actually said, we'll see. I'll I'll get back to you on that. But this is clearly not their child. So at this point, where we're at in the story is the Department of Health and Human Services, whatever that specific department is in Florida, they have a baby that they have no idea where this child's from. They're getting DNA from the child right now, and they're like, maybe we'll match it against something in a genealogy database and find the parents. But how did they get the baby in the first place? Did they kidnap the baby? Did they buy the baby? Or, this is the way my mind works. When I read this, I thought, they disappear from their house. Their cell phones don't ping at all for a week until they pop up in Florida. With this new baby, who at first they say isn't theirs, and now they both claim is theirs to the point that they want to see the baby during the trial. They call him to the, for the defense, and he all of a sudden he can talk and goes, oh no, those are my parents. I'm thinking, what if they slipped into some sort of alternate universe? This is an insight into my mind. What if they fell into some sort of alternate universe? Where she had a baby. She had a little baby boy. And that would explain why the cell phones didn't ping, because they're coming back out of the alternate universe in Florida, and maybe, conspiracy cat fully on, as they were re-entering our universe, they couldn't remember who the baby belonged to, but now they know the baby's theirs. Now, this is the reason why I'm never on a jury, because i am be sitting there and be taking notes. They're all presenting all this evidence. They're like, here's photos of them kidnapping the baby. Here's photos of them breaking into the truck that the baby was in. And I'm as the, as the prosecutor's giving all the information, I write, or in my notes, and then I draw like a little portal. I draw a baby falling out of a portal into their hands. So here's the thing. I'm thinking like that because I'm a paranormal-minded person. I'm also, not, I'm also not an idiot. I know that that's unlikely. And this is one of the stories that I've been, because t- I've been wanting to talk about it all week on the show. I've just been looking for more information. This is a story I've been telling my friends. And one of them goes, oh, they probably bought the baby. And I go, yeah, I think it's kind of hard to buy babies. Like I know people used to sell them on Craigslist, but they always got arrested fairly quickly. I don't think it's that easy to buy a baby. And my friend looks at me and goes, well, I got a story for you then. Molly, let's go ahead and hop in that dead rabbit dirigible. We are leaving behind De Leon Springs, Florida. Waving goodbye to that baby. We hope you find your real parents. We are headed all the way out to the Pacific Northwest. This is a story a friend told me. I'm going to change some basic facts about it because it, you'll understand why. There's certain things I have to leave out of the story just to make sure that, that everyone's not killed because I told this story. Because it, Anyways, let's check this out. So he was telling me a couple years ago, and when I say a couple years ago, we're talking like 10, 15 years ago. He worked at a facility, like a shelter for battered children, battered wives type of thing. there are parts of the Pacific Northwest, and we're taking this whole region because I don't want to specify where this story took place, but there are parts of the Pacific Northwest that are are wild. And I don't mean like grizzly bears and mountain lions, like lawless parts of the Pacific Northwest. People come out here because they don't want to have the interference from the government. So you have this shelter in this region of the Pacific Northwest. And one day the police drop off An 11-year-old girl. And my friend said, this girl was 11 years old, but she acted like she was 7. She acted very childlike. Like, even at 11, you're starting to kind of put stuff together, but this girl acted really, really young. Young for her age. And when she wasn't doing anything at the shelter, wasn't helping out or getting to meet other people, she would just sit there and color in a coloring book and just sit on the edge of her bed and her legs would kind of kick like a little girl. And so... My friend was telling me, so he goes, the police came and they dropped her off and they let us know what the situation was. So this 11-year-old girl was trafficked when she was around the age of nine. What had happened was, in this lawless region of the Pacific Northwest, apparently there is like this commune, this trailer park type situation. And it was just a bunch of old men living there. Living off the land, hanging out with each other, drinking a couple of beers. But they also bought this girl. The whole community got together, chipped their money together, and bought a nine-year-old girl. And, and she served the whole community. She went from house to house or trailer to trailer. She was cooking for them. She was cleaning up their place. And, of course, because people are disgusting, she was being sexually abused she was being sexually abused by this group of old men and she would go from house to house throughout the week one day one of these guys is taking her somewhere and she's sitting in the car this she was this started when she was nine now she's 11 and it's late at night and this car is driving through the wilderness and she'd probably planned on this she'd probably thought about this for a long time but now was the moment as this car was driving down the road late at night she's watching the woods pass by staring at the passenger window. She finally makes the decision to jump out of the car. She opens her car door and she leaps out of a moving vehicle and takes off into the woods. But she doesn't actually. And this is a very, very interesting thing. There's a tip if you're ever being pursued by someone, be it law enforcement or a criminal gang. You're caught by moving. You are caught by running. She jumped out of the car, ran a short distance, and then jumped into a ditch right by the road. Covered herself up. And when the dude stopped the car and jumped out and was freaking out, obviously, because this is the entire community's quote-unquote property... He's screaming out into the woods, and he's assuming she has bolted into the wilderness. But she's right in that ditch. And car, he gets a hold of other people in the community, and these other cars pull up, and they're screaming for her. And they're both offering great prizes. Oh, we're so sorry. I don't know why you ran away. When you come back, we're going to give you the best dress. We're going to give you the prettiest dress. We're going to give you all these sweets and all these streets. We love you. As well as threats. You come out of here right now. I'm going to bash your head in. Get out of there. Come on. And she's close enough to the road to hear all of this. When you run, you get caught. If you can stay still, it's a lot harder to catch you, honestly. She lays in that ditch, I think for almost a day. And then crawls out of it when she thinks the coast is clear. And it is clear. And I don't know if she's picked up. There's a lot of... This story took place so long ago. And I and I have a feeling like I'm kind of hearing it from someone who was there. But w- like I think they were a periphery to what was going on at the actual shelter. So they didn't have a lot of immediate information as well. But they're saying... That eventually, I don't know if like another person came by and picked her up, or if the police found her and picked her up, or if she walked for miles and miles, but eventually she does end up in the hands of the police, and the police sent her to this shelter. And at this point, the people in the community, the old creepy community, realize that the girl is at the shelter. But this shelter, I used to volunteer at a woman's shelter in Sacramento. And one of the things we were told, we could never reveal the location of the shelter. It was, it was like this giant office building. You would never know. You'd think it was like an at t call center. It was a woman's shelter. It doesn't exist anymore. Sadly, it doesn't exist anymore. These places are needed. But we had security. And no one. there was no signs outside the building. You didn't know where it was at. And it was against the law for like we had to we had to swear. I think we had to sign a document saying if we revealed the information, like it was a criminal act. But anyway, so here, it's different in this small town. Everyone knew where this shelter was. And when this girl showed up, information must have leaked out, they began calling the shelter and doing the same thing, being like, oh, it's totally misunderstanding. If you send her back, we're going to love her. Just let her know how much we love her and how much we want her back and all this stuff. And then they'd also get phone calls about threats. We're going to come in there and we're going to kill everyone there, burn the place down. And then eventually... She was there for a while. The facility, the shelter, said, we don't have the security to protect her or protect our people. So working with law enforcement, she was shipped to another location. That's where the story ends. It's really interesting, though, to think, like, I assumed buying a child would be fairly difficult. But the fact that I can just be talking... I mean, I do have a lot of friends, and I have a, friends who have had a variety of careers over the years. It's very interesting that as I was just telling the story, I told it to a bunch of people here in town. Now, one of the people I told had second-hand experience. Like, again, they weren't actually involved in this. They were kind of on the, on the sidelines of it, but they were kind of watching everything. And... Like, what are the chances of that? Now, obviously, it happens, so there is some chance of it. But maybe buying children is easier than I thought. (laughs) I'm not recommending it. But you know what I mean? Like, maybe it's more common than I thought. So maybe the... I personally think... I mean, going back to the Germanas, putting the alternate reality thing aside, I think it'd be easier to kidnap a baby than buy a baby. But if the baby was kidnapped you think there would be reports of a missing baby. So was the baby sold when they do this DNA test? Are they going to be able to find this kid's real parents? Do the parents of the baby want to be found because they sold the baby? I mean, if they sold the baby, they have to be found. They have to be prosecuted. But what a bizarre story. And... I it's probably more common than you think. Buying kids. Who would have thought? I thought that was something... Every so often you'd see an article someone getting busted because they were selling their kid for like $1,000 on Craigslist or like $1,000 in trade and drugs and stuff like that. And they always get arrested. So I figured, oh, you know, that's good. Law enforcement's doing their job. That person's going to prison for a long time. But then we have stories like my friend told me that. Maybe it's more common. Isn't that terrifying? But hopefully, hopefully, both stories will have a happy ending. and I'll keep you guys updated, too, on that Germana story. We'll see what else pops out of that. But, Molly, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind the Pacific Northwest. We are flying all the way out to Detroit, Michigan. So, Molly, bring this carbonercopter nice and low. We're hovering over this little house in Detroit, Michigan. The year is 2017. I found this story posted online by Chick-fil-A 26. We're going to call you Marcus, if that's your real name. That's just a shot in the dark. And Marcus goes on to say this house was his cousin's house. He was visiting from out of town, and apparently his family often comes up to this location. And he goes, it was a typical house that you would find in Detroit. He said it was very narrow, but a big house. And had, like, the kitchen, the bathroom. I mean, every house has those, hopefully. He said it was this narrow house. It was big. And you had, like, the basement. You had the attic. It was just it, basically as spooky as a house you could imagine in Detroit. And apparently this is the most common type of house out there. But he's staying at his cousin's house for the week. And while he's there, he's sharing a room with his 9-year-old nephew. And for the most of the week... Everything's totally fine. He does get a little weirded out. He gets a weird vibe coming from the kitchen and the upstairs bathroom. But other than that, the, the, other than that, his biggest complication is his nine-year-old nephew being like, and now the, the new hundred Pokemon added in Sapphire Gold are these. And he's like, oh my God, please, please kill me. Everything else, though, paranormal-wise seems to just be... He wouldn't even classify it as paranormal. It just gets kind of a weird vibe. In those two areas. Well, one night he comes back from this family event. They've all been out, hanging out, and he gets home and he tells his nephew, he goes, Hey, um, I know we'll spend the night in your room. I know you have another hundred Pokemon to tell me about from Ruby Rose and Black Petals or whatever the newest game is. But I'm going to see, he actually tells his nephew this, I'm going to sleep downstairs for just a couple hours. And then I'll go up to the room and join you. But I definitely need some sleep. It's midnight. We're getting home. I need a little bit of sleep. You can tell me all about Fortnite dances tomorrow. But let me sleep for a little bit on the couch. And the nephew goes, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. So Marcus goes to sleep on the couch. And he's asleep for about two hours. (sniffs) And then he wakes up. And the way he's sleeping is he's facing the couch. So his back is facing the living room. And he wakes up and he senses this is all, all these things kind of happen at once. He senses, he senses someone standing next to the couch, standing facing his back. He's laying there. And he he realizes someone's in the room with him. And he can it's the odd, I've never had this happen to me. He can actually sense that it's the presence of a child. Next to him. So as he's groggily waking up from his sleep on the couch, he's waiting to be hit with a litany of new Pokemon names. He figures his nephew is standing there. He tells his nephew, go, come on, man, go away. We'll learn all about this stuff. I just need a little bit more sleep. And he starts to try to drift off again. But the boy, the presence of this child, is still standing next to the couch. So Marcus rolls over to face his nephew, and what he sees is not his nephew. But what he's looking at is so bizarre, he is still rationalizing it as his nephew. He rolls over and he sees a boy standing there, a pale blue boy, wearing worn overalls and sporting a really, really bad buzz cut, a badly shaven head. And this little boy is just staring at Marcus. And as Marcus is staring back at this child, and his brain still isn't perceiving it, he's still acting like as if his nephew is standing here. It's a very, very weird set of circumstances. And it does happen. It does happen in the world of the paranormal. Your brain will go, well, that's impossible. Therefore, X is what I'm looking at. He's sitting and he's looking at this pale blue boy, And he immediately just feels intense sadness come over him. And then he just feels his body begin to be drained of energy. All he can sense is heartbreak and melancholy. He feels like his energy is being drained out of him. And he rolls back over. I'm just going to ignore my nephew. He'll eventually go back to bed. But I'm just too tired right now, and for whatever reason, my nephew's bumming me out. For whatever reason, my nephew has a bad haircut. I didn't see him do that earlier. And for whatever reason, my nephew, he's he's pale blue. And then he realizes, this is the point. He's been staring at this kid for a while, but this is the point when he turns his back to the kid. It finally clicks in his head, that's not my nephew. And he rolls back over, and the living room is completely empty. Well, I mean, there's furniture, there's furniture and stuff. The blue boy didn't rob him, but there's no one in the living room with him. So he jumps up, he actually runs upstairs. He realizes now he's either had a horrible nightmare, a very realistic nightmare, or he's just seen a ghost. So he runs upstairs into his nephew's bedroom. He's like, please tell me about all the Pokemon, whatever. I just need to sleep in this room. It's super spooky downstairs. He actually doesn't say it's super spooky downstairs. He doesn't tell anyone about this story. He just leaves it be. He woke up in the middle of the night, saw this blue, this pale blue phantom of a boy. And he felt like it was draining his energy out of him. And he dismissed it as being his nephew. But then he realized his nephew is not a pale blue vampire. Two years later, Marcus is talking to his twin sister. We'll call her Jenny. And he goes, hey, Jenny, uh, this is going to sound kind of weird. But when, when you're ever at the cousin's house in Detroit, do you ever have like a weird feeling there? Does that house ever kind of creep you out? She looks at Marcus and she goes, you know what, I'm, you know, I've know, i never told this story to anyone. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. But one day, I was spending the night at the house. <laughs> I got tired of hearing about Pokemon. One time I was spending the night at the house. I slept on the couch in the living room. I was sleeping on the couch. I woke up in the middle of the night. And I saw a little boy. Marcus is sitting there. Totally freaking out. He's told no one this story. Jenny continues. I woke up in the middle of the night and I see this pale blue boy. Standing in the kitchen. He had on these overalls. He had this really bad haircut. It was like he had his head shaved by an amateur or a blind person or something like that. It was just all messed up. He's standing next to the kitchen table, and I'm, I'm on the couch, and I'm looking. You know, the living room's dark, but I can clearly see this pale blue boy standing in the kitchen. And his eyes were pitch black, and his mouth was twisted wide open. <laughs> Letting out a silent scream. So the sound effect I added was just so you could picture it in your head. But imagine me going, oh! But take out the sound effect. He was just screaming in silence. Pitch black eyes, mouth wide open. Not a sound to be heard in the house. She goes, it was absolutely terrifying. I never told anyone about it. So Marcus, what was your weird paranormal event? Why do you feel uncomfortable there? Marcus realized then they saw the same boy, these two twins. And what's interesting about this story, in fact, There's this little boy walking around this house, this little ghost boy, is that he wraps it up like this. And I never thought about this before. He wraps up his post with this question. How come the boy looked more menacing to her and he looked more, quote-unquote, peaceful to me? And I read that and I go, that's so fascinating. I never thought about that before. Now, I have encountered a version of a blue boy in my own life. I'll put the episode in the show notes. I was basically in my, I wouldn't say my early days of ghost hunting, but in the middle of my, I used to be a physical ghost hunter. Now, nowadays I just sit at home and read spooky stories, but I used to go out to haunted locations constantly. I was a ghost hunter through and through. Now I'm more of a ghost researcher, but... I used to be a ghost hunter on location for years, actually, I did it. And and, and one of these locations, I picked up a blue boy and he haunted me for a while i'll find the episode i'll put it in the show notes it's really interesting it's really creepy i thought I was losing my mind really i was like this this is impossible i believe in ghosts but this is impossible why is this thing following me around so when you come across stories of the pale blue boy that's one of the things that i read and i go oh yeah i know that's true that phenomenon's true i've seen that with my own eyes shadow people i've seen that with my own eyes the dogs the two-dimensional dogs that walk on walls and walk down streets no matter which angle you look at them from, they're they're uh, flat. I've seen those. I've seen those. So the phenomenon rings true to me. But the idea this is so fascinating to me. I never really thought about this before. The idea that a ghost would appear to two different people in different forms is very, very interesting. Because what we have, it's not just seen in two different forms. It's not someone going into a haunted house, they experience a cold spot, and then someone else going into the same haunted house, and they see a shadow man. I would argue that those are just people at different levels of perception of the paranormal. What we're seeing is two twins, a set of twins, both perceiving the same person, but one of them sees it as this menacing figure. Like, which one would you rather wake up to, right? You're like, neither. And I shut the podcast off ten minutes ago. I don't want to hear this story. Which one would you rather wake up to, though—the little blue boy standing next to your couch, just staring at you, or the one in the kitchen, screaming silently with this horrible, twisted look on its face? And you have to wonder, like, what it, what, how, why did he see the more peaceful version, and she saw the hideous version? Because I started thinking about all the times that I've had ghostly encounters. And times where I may bring people to locations. I used to go ghost hunting all the time. It's actually a great first date activity. I did it a lot. Sometimes second date. It works better on the second date. Because basically you have to convince a girl to drive with you out in the middle of nowhere. Not many will do that on the first date. Second date though. My point is, is that I've never thought about this before. That we could both encounter the same paranormal entity. And I could see it in a sense that maybe it is friendly. Or just a shadow passing in the woods. And when she sees it, it's this hideous creature coming right towards us. We're perceiving the same thing on different wavelengths. We're perceiving the same. And the reason why this is... I never thought about this before. This is incredibly dangerous, right? Because I, there may be a haunted location that I go to, and I'm like, yeah, this place has a reputation of being haunted, but I've personally never seen anything or walking around, and I'm perceiving it all as just places that have cold spots or maybe hearing things in the distance, which is actually really rare when you're wa- walking around a haunted place and you hear voices. But when you're... You know, I could be perceiving it one way, and if I do come across something, say like a little blue boy who was, in my experience, completely sinister, he was actually actively trying to scare me, this little kid. So I was more in line with Jenny's reaction to this. But I, 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 it's just so interesting because I've done that multiple times. I've taken girls to haunted locations, and I'm wondering if it could have been. If I'm taking, what I'm trying to say is, I take them to a place where the haunting is fairly benign, right? But I'm, I'm exposing them to danger because whatever's there may be more vicious towards them for whatever reason. You see what I mean? That's what we have here. Imagine these two people were ghost hunters. And the guy goes, oh, we got to go to this place. It's this abandoned house in Detroit. I went there the other day and there was a little blue boy standing in the corner. And then she shows up and the blue boy is crawling on all fours towards her and trying to like attack her like a little spider monkey. And she's like, dude, don't take me here. This is the most violent haunting I've ever had. Is it possible that two ghost hunters or just two random people can encounter the same ghost and one is a terrifying representation of that ghost, while the other person's like, oh yeah, I just I'm slightly chilled. Ghost hunting is a dangerous game because you really never know what you're going to encounter. You could go to the same asylum that Zach Baggins has been to and the Ghost Hunters have been to and they run tours every Halloween and it's creepy and it's fun and you bring all your EF readers and you have a good time and you go hunting ghosts. And then you show up. Then you show up and for whatever reason, you're delicious to the entities there. They can taste you as you're getting out of the car in the parking lot. And you figure it's safe. You've heard the rumors how this place is haunted and all these people have investigated it. But for whatever reason, you're just so delicious, so sweet, so pure to the entities in that building. They've never seen something like you. They've never sensed your life force before. And as you're walking into that, quote unquote, haunted asylum that you've seen so many times on the sci-fi channel, With your buddies, you're going to go and have a good time doing some amateur ghost hunting. But what you don't understand is you're about to start a feeding frenzy. These spirits, these demons, whatever you want to call them, are licking their lips as you walk through that door. Ghost hunting is a dangerous game. At the very least, you'll have a good time with your buddies. You'll have some stories to tell. But at the very most, you could be opening yourself up to demonic possession. A lot of people think of ghost hunting as a fun time walking through darkness and trying to record an EVP, trying to see a ghost, trying to find proof. But to an experienced ghost hunter, you realize that every time you walk into a haunted location, you are doing the equivalent of walking into a minefield. All the dangers are hidden. It's a dangerous, dangerous hobby. You think you're just going to have this fun ghost hunting adventure? But while you're in this building, you are under constant psychic assault. Your soul is drained. Your life force is drained. You get dizzy. You got to sit down. Your friends are worried about you. Hey, do you want to leave? Do you want to leave? Yeah, yeah, we'll leave in a second. Just, I'm not feeling that good. I got to sit down. And in that brief period of time, that infestation, that possession has already begun. By the time you leave the asylum, you're no longer in control of your body. Something else is walking out of that asylum wearing your skin. Now, does it mean everyone who goes into a house is going to get possessed? No. But if you have the right set of attributes, if you have the things that these creatures are looking for, and if you don't have the fortitude to stand up against them, you may not walk out of that building. Well, your body may, but... Something else inhabiting it, while the real you is left behind in that asylum. Another tormented spirit, another trapped soul, walking through the darkness of this abandoned hospital in agony, in fear, doomed to roam these halls until you become strong enough, vengeful enough to inhabit a body of somebody else. You always wanted to be a ghost hunter. But now you're simply a ghost haunting a location that you read about online. You've become part of the legend. You've become part of the curse. All because you just looked too delicious to the demons in the darkness.